2: Don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello, welcome back to AusBiz as we kick off the PM as we usually do with uh, the call. 10 stocks that you suggest we take a look at we put it to an expert panel and they give us their view on it uh, absolutely terrific to have scott phillips uh, back with us from motley falls scott how are you there from the uh the southern highlands of beautiful new south wales all going well
3: Mate, it is an absolutely glorious day here, Koshi. The sun's out for an autumn day, mate. You couldn't ask for much better. So I'm in a good mood. Things are good.
2: Excellent, excellent. And uh, joining also the expert panel today, Chris McDonald from Morgan's. It comes through another beautiful place, uh, northern beaches of Sydney. How are you, mate?
0: Absolutely well. Sunny, shiny. The markets up, so yeah. I'm in a good mood. Exactly a good right. Start.
2: And uh, Chris was just telling me he's in preparations for the National Surf Lifesaving titles, Mate, good going. Cross fingers and toes. Yeah, yeah. the
0: hammies hold together. What are you in? Beach sprinting. Oh, beach sprinter. Yes. Wow.
1: I know. Hopefully there'll be a tailwind. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: When's that? This coming? Sunday. Oh, fantastic. Well, good luck with that. Up at Malula Bar.
1: Yes.
0: And hopefully a, a hamburger and a couple of chips on Sunday night.
2: Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Before you go... We'll make sure you're in peak condition in terms of uh, taking a look at the share market uh, before we get into your uh, uh 10 stocks that you've suggested we have a look at uh, i always choose a stock of the day something that is in the uh in the news and thought we'd take a look at national tire and Wheel, which came out with an update saying it's confident that it can lift its uh, operating um earnings before interest and depreciation guidance to between 31 and $33 million for the financial year 2021. Thanks to a strong March quarter, market reacting positively to the update, uh, sending the share price up uh, about 17.5% today. It's um, a stock that we don't look at often here on, um, on the call, so I thought it worth a, a, a check-in with it. Um, Scott, what do you think of National Tire?
3: You know what, Koshi, I'd actually never looked at this one. This is one of those businesses that I'm happy to be asked about because it gives me a chance to have a bit of a dive. I was pleasantly surprised. So, look, let me go through uh, the the risks and I'll go through the opportunities. Risk, obviously, this is a business that's just entire supply and fitting. That's a pretty niche business, right? And that means that, to some degree, you could expect that business will be either threatened by bigger guys or just simply a bit cyclical. And I, again, speaking of being pleasantly surprised, would have bet, if you'd asked me, But over the last, say, 12 months, things have been tough, right? People aren't doing the same number of Ks in their cars. I guess maybe we're doing more outback trips and fewer city back and forth trips. But I really wouldn't have expected the people to be, uh, you know, using their tyres and being replaced as much as has obviously been the case. But some really strong numbers at a national tyre, which is really, really impressive. In terms of positives, this is a PE of 13.8 as of this morning. Now, a lot higher now. The shares are up that uh, 17 or so percent today. So taking care of some of that. But you're not paying a whole lot. Look, this is a tiny company. It's a business that you're gonna to have to take on faith if you buy. I think you've got 12 odd centres. They own another seven uh, that are supply or provided. Sorry, under the, under the same branding. So there's some scale there. There's some opportunity. This is big. Uh, you know, sorry, this is speculative. This is a small business. This is a big risk you're taking on a very little business with a very specific niche operation. I wouldn't run away from it. I'm tempted to say I'd I'd buy it if you were prepared to deal with a little bit of volatility, a little bit of risk. Um, certainly, as you said, a lot of the pricing's has already come back in, uh, but it's still only less than 14 times earnings, which for a business that's growing at this sort of rate, um, and it has been growing really consistently over the last four or five years. It's not going to make investment grade necessarily, but uh, I actually think it's probably going to beat the market. So I'll put it down for a cautious buyer question.
2: Okay. All right. Um, good one. Good check-in. Uh, Chris? What do you think
0: yeah looking at that chart there it was a stock that actually ipo'd a number of uh, years ago had great expansion plans and and really delivered in its first year or two we saw that little big cliff that it uh, toddled off there had a near-death experience (laughs) since then they've managed to repair the balance sheet really focus on uh key deliverables around service and margins Uh, we've seen a very uh useful acquisition they made tires for you back in august last year which was pretty cheap so yeah. they benefited from that and we'll continue to see that revenue go through. So plenty of tailwinds here for revenue. Always like to see upguided guidance. You generally have that little afterglow yeah. for the next three months. Yeah. So yeah, I actually expect this probably to test a dollar twenty, dollar thirty over the coming three to six months. We are seeing a huge shortage of new cars here at the moment. Yep. People still have a dearth of opportunities to go overseas, so expect more traveling and more Wear and tear of tires, so uh, I think for at least the next six to twelve months, this looks pretty good. I agree with Scott. It's a small cap. It's more speculative. It's purely yep. growth. Um, be prepared to see some volatility, uh, but again, uh, you might get that rewards of twenty or thirty percent. So I agree, a speculative buy, but definitely a right. buy for the uh, people that can tolerate the risk.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because here in the, this sort of sector, we we focus on. You know, the the Super Retail Group, with uh, Super Bad Corp with the parts, AIRB, all that sort of stuff. Um, National Tire sort of goes under the radar a bit, does it?
0: It does. I mean, it's relatively small, but as we've seen with that acquisition, they've got a big enough balance sheet to buy smaller players and they can grow through acquisition and and, uh, synergy. So I expect them to continue to concentrate on cost, yeah. and really look at uh, increasing that earnings per share. Something around $0.17 cents earnings per share on a, a dollar price. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that, particularly if we can see that momentum through the rest of the year.
2: Absolutely. All right. There you go. That's our stock of the day, National Tire and Wheel. Um, let's start getting into the 10 stocks you want us to take a look at. And Harry, Chris wants us to uh, wants a view on Santos, the, uh, the big gas oil and gas.
1: Uh, it is so. the big
0: oil and gas, another one that had a near-death experience uh, quite a few uh, <laughs> uh, years ago now yeah, when uh, gas prices collapsed at the same time, they'd raised a huge amount of debt for their LNG facility yeah. over in Gladstone. Since then, they've yeah. again repaired their balance sheet, they've focused on costs. Their production something like $8.5 US per barrel of oil equivalent. Now with oil at around $60, wow. they're making a tidy profit, yeah. they've got their debt under control. One of our top picks actually for energy exposure and we have broadened from purely uh, oil, I mean these guys are about uh, 70% gas and LNG. So yeah. this is a gas and LNG play. For those out there that are worried about uh, uh, carbon footprint, uh, LNG uses about half the, um, uh, the greenhouse gases of oil. So they're definitely in that bridging area for gas fired power stations moving for the next 20 years. I also like them. They've got a couple of uh, brownfields and greenfields developments to really sustain that growth profile over the next few years uh, coming to final investment decision this year. So I like it. And the backdrop around energy, we we expect a lower US dollar over the year. We expect Mm -hmm. uh, demand to pick up for oil and gas as the globe picks up, particularly the northern hemisphere as it gets vaccinated and comes into summer. So everything bodes well over the medium term for them. What a great uh, recovery there, as you can see on that yep. share price. But uh, again, um, it's—I wouldn't call it quite a blue chip, but really for a growth stock uh, that pays a to, little bit of yield. Expect to see a eight or nine in front of that over the next 12 months. Okay. All right. So you like Santos? So um, I'm happy to buy it at these levels. Okay. Yes. Notwithstanding that recovery, it seems to have just stalled along with the oil price for now. But more growth okay. to come
2: scott what do you think of santos as chris was saying sort of kevin gallagher who took over the reins at santos has uh, certainly turned the business around repaired the balance sheet in pretty good management hands
3: i think it is koshi i am glad we started with an agreement because i'm going to disagree with chris here not because i necessarily have a strong uh, view that it's a terrible business to buy but because i think the clue for me at least is in chris's opening which is that the current oil price it's making us all per barrel which is spectacularly great uh, the question of course is what happens to oil from here I will confess I have no strong view on that which is exactly why I'd be avoiding Santos I think the real concern I have is the the, the kind of the oil price at the moment seems to be materially higher than the ongoing average cost of production. And if you forecast the oil price, you can not exactly forecast the Santos price. We've got a reasonable sense of where it's going to go based on the profitability of that business. I simply have no, no confidence in my ability to forecast the oil price. Uh, we know, of course, this is the hardest commodity to forecast on the laws of supply and demand because of the, the heavy hand uh, of OPEC and their ability to control both supply and pricing through that kind of uh, consortium that would be illegal if it was inside a country, but a cartel that's cross country, of course, so gets away with it because it supplies that thing we need so much, which is oil. I'm not confident that the price is this high or higher in 12 months. I have no view, I'm not saying it won't be, but I wouldn't at all be surprised to lower, and maybe even significantly so. If that was the case, if that was to play out that way, I do think the share price would be meaningfully lower. So. If you have a view on the oil price, you want to back it in, Santos It's probably a good way to do it, particularly if you think it's going to be higher because it does have a relatively leverage balance sheet. It's a good way to, to play that leverage if you believe the price is going to be higher. I simply have not sufficient confidence. And probably if I was going to guess, I, I'd be more worried about a downside than upside from here. So I'd be avoiding okay. Santos.
2: OK, so um, do you avoid that sector altogether because of it?
3: Yeah, I would. I, I just don't think, you know, no matter how good a manager you are, if the price halves, you're all stuffed. Uh, you know, Realistically, that's just the reality that you're operating. Now, I say stuffed. I'm being a bit colloquial. Um, you know, you can't avoid, no matter how good an operator you are, you can't fight a foiling oil price. No matter how bad an operator you are, you almost can't lose with a rising oil price either, by the way, it's in the margins where success and failure is achieved. We know that Santos, of course, but you need to ask the experiences, as Chris did. Um, you know, they got close because the oil price stayed low. They had too much debt. They got themselves into a degree of trouble, and they fought their way out of it, and commendably. So, again, I, I don't doubt the management team's ability or, or, or confidence in their own operations, but they they know themselves. You can't control the oil price. All you can do is control the controllables. That's fine as an operating business. And if I'm working for them, I'm saying exactly the same thing. If I'm an investor, I'm saying there are millions of alternatives outside the sector. I simply wouldn't be invested. The time I would go in a bet for that one, Koshi, is when the oil price was particularly low. When it gets closer to that cost of production, your downside by definition is much more limited, your upside potentially much greater. So I'd be waiting for those opportunities that don't happen all the time. So you could be opportunistic if you want to play that game. But I'd wait until the price came down and then buy the rebound rather than at this price. And I'll work out where it goes next.
0: Okay. Chris? Yeah, lots of good points. At the end of the day, we're trusting OPEC on our OPEC Plus with Russia. And uh, I guess their recent history is they want to really restrict uh, production, uh, let the demand gap close, any supply yeah. gap. Uh, because they need to prop it up. They're trying to extract as much dollars out because we know particularly oil, which they're all rich, as opposed to gas, has a shelf life now with the rise of electric vehicles. So um, I think there's probably that at play. You've got to trust that you're backing their best interest, which is to make as much money while they can. And, of course, the demand cycle. But uh, you're right. I mean, there's certainly other commodities that probably have a more... um, linear and predictable long-term outcome like copper, which is probably a chat right. for another day, where you can see structural deficits looming on the horizon because demand is heading to outstrip yep. supply. So yep. you're not for the faint highlight and they go in cycles. Uh, yeah, but okay. I, do, I, I do think there's probably a little bit more, or okay. at least stability at these levels.
2: All right. There you go, Harry. Good discussion there on Sandoz. Uh, Scott, Tony wants a view on Vulcan Energy. Um, it's been in the... The news a little bit over the last couple of weeks has its direct lithium extraction pilot plant in Germany is now fully functional. And it's uh, uh, to prove the feasibility of extracting lithium from geothermal brine. Here we go. Another another company in the lithium business. What do you reckon of Vulcan?
3: Everyone's in lithium business these days, Koshi. It reminds me of the old days when everyone was in oil and everyone was in China, or everyone was .com. Yep. Like, you know, you've been around enough to, to long enough to know, as, yep. as Chris, how these cycles go. Um, look, I remain concerned about lithium in the same way that I've used the example last time, the analogy, that if someone had told you in 1900 what was going to happen with oil consumption, you would have mortgaged the house and, and put it all in oil. And if you'd held it for, the long, for, you know, for 50, 60, 70 years, you would have done roughly inflation, maybe a little bit more. Um, the, The reality is that the supply and demand dynamics tend to play out roughly in line, almost by definition. And so not only the price, but the margins available to most providers over the longest period of time tend to be pretty tough to come by. Now, that's a long term story. I am going to do I have been doing a little bit more work on the short to medium term supply and demand. It's very, very possible that there is a short term uh, imbalance where demand simply outstrips the growth of supply and if that does happen you will see prices jump if you're a short to medium-term investor that gives you some opportunity potentially if that remains true of course you also then have to work out whether the share price has already jumped in advance of that because you've seen that chart just then uh, vulcan doing so incredibly well share price wise the question is what's mm. left right what, what is already being assumed by shareholders how much is left in terms of whatever price gain there may well be or volume gain there may well be I just don't think you want to be in lithium for the long term or any commodity for the long term for exactly that reason. We just finished talking about oil with Santos, but the long term story for oil has been really, really depressing over decades. Uh, To imagine lithium might somehow be different. The only reason, the only rationale you come up with would be if you believe that the demand growth will outstrip supply growth in the foreseeable future, maybe three to five years possibly before enough lithium supply is made available. If that is true, you will get some short term profits. You've got to work out when to sell, of course. Uh, Too hard for me. I don't think anyone can forecast that imbalance. As I said, even if you could, the question really is Vulcan after that run, is there really that much left that's not accounted for in the share price? I doubt it very much. Sentiment is really, really strong on these guys. Um, That's a tough
0: place to go and start playing.
2: Yep, okay, Chris.
0: Yeah, I tend to agree on this one. I mean, if Tony holds it, you could probably keep holding it for a little longer. I think you're looking at that price chart. It's it's healing a little bit. Uh, It got to ridiculous levels. The management was smart enough to uh, Bank 120 million back in February that you can see there. So they've got plenty of time now. Um, The reason why it gets such a premium, they're playing this very strong clean energy, clean lithium, carbon neutral lithium play. And and they've got a big facility up in uh, Norway as well. And obviously up there, uh, that plays very, very strongly. Uh, Europe uh, a lot more advanced when it comes to renewables and clean energy. So it gets a premium. They've got a, a big strategic agreement with DuPont. So they're making all the right noise, but they won't be in production for a number of years. So you're really at the whim of uh, news flow and crossing fingers that the uh, price is going to be there when they finally start producing. So, you know, it's probably worth holding. But uh, again, after that rise, be a bit tricky buying. I think there's better, okay. better opportunities out there that haven't really um, embedded too much blue sky into the price, there's a lot of yep. blue sky there because they yeah. make nothing every day, and yet they're worth six hundred million bucks. Yeah, so yeah. that's uh, six hundred million dollars of blue sky. So, if you
2: it. were, if you had a client in at fifteen cents, yeah, would you be saying, look, take some profits and sort of bank it and?
0: Oh, definitely. Like I mean, they've had a wonderful, wonderful ride. Of course, the ride didn't really go anywhere until last year when yeah, really right. they started to advance their projects at the same time that there was a recovery in sentiment, recovery in the lithium story. So they've really benefited there. What this company's done by banking $120 million is given themselves a number of years runway. So... It's actually less risky and than it was it in January. The, and they did it at the right exactly, time. Didn't exactly, exactly. So, so, somewhere around this price at the moment, there's probably a little bit of upside there. But again, it's, it's for people that need to moderate yep. risk. If that's a big part of your portfolio, I'd be selling at least half. Yep.
2: Okay. All right. Uh, Rachel wants a view on uh, Costa Group, Chris, uh, Australia's largest producer, packer, and supplier of fresh fruit and vegetables to major retailers. We're looking tomatoes, berries, citrus, avocados, mushrooms. The Costa is after Frank Costa, who was the founder, uh, former president of the Geelong Football AFL club, uh, the king of Geelong, Frank Costa, and uh, floated the family business uh, a couple of years ago, didn't they?
0: And did very, very well. Yeah. This was a market darling <laughs> up, really up to well. a couple of years <laughs> ago when it cratered. I think it got down to about $2.40 last year, was yeah. looking a little bit soggy. Uh, a few uh, uh, rotten bits of fruit in there, but since then it's really staged a lovely uh, recovery as we can see there. Look it is a very high quality business, there are a lot of moving parts, they are still at risk to weather events and of course price events. So that's hard to model. Um, uh, It's a quality business, I'm probably a hold on it, 37% of their product goes overseas, so that's obviously Mm. a, a risk and an opportunity as well because uh, people yep. are, are willing to pay a premium for uh, for fresh uh, food and, and, and a, products. And
2: Australian fresh agricultural 100%. product is, is like
0: the um, Louis Vuitton of, of food, isn't it? We're where a is.
2: luxury brand, anything grown here.
0: Absolutely. And I guess it's vulnerable to disease, it's vulnerable to overseas markets, it's vulnerable to other price corrections. And for those reasons, there are just so many variables for me to go, just because it's a very well-managed business, happy to buy. But looking at that again, it's healing nicely. Their numbers are going up. It'll be a profitable year for them. They've had a good season. They're getting good prices. So it will probably go high from here, maybe to $5.50, but I'm more of a holder than a buyer. Okay. Uh, Scott, what do you reckon of Costa Group?
3: Yeah, because we've had it as a buy right through that period. It was a, it was a long winter, let me tell you. It was a tough, <laughs> tough for all the reasons that Chris has mentioned. It, you know, it really is. I mean, it's an agricultural company, right? And it's had everything from pricing from oversupply. It had some issues with the mushroom crop. I think there was a, a particular disease or, or issue with the with the crop there. Uh, you know, being in agriculture is such a tough business, as we know. The farmers around Australia have had it really tough. They are having a good year, again, across Australia and Costa in particular, as Chris has mentioned. This is one for me, and I can't have much more to Chris's great description. What I like about it is, if you look at the most recent presentations, a really, really nice slide. It's basically managed to provide almost all year supply to its supermarket customers because mm-hmm. it's citing its um, growing facilities, whether they be uh, greenhouses, crops actually literally in the ground, um, right around Australia and through China and a little bit of Morocco as well I'll get to in a second. What that's meant is they've basically got seasonal opportunities to provide the supermarkets, all year on blueberries, I think it's all year on raspberries, most of the year on strawberries, and so on and so forth. you're mm-hmm. in that situation, you, you really do tie up the supply deals. And I think they supply it's some ridiculous amount of, of Coles, fresh berries, for example, same at Woolworths, um, because they've been able to really industrialise production in a way that makes the national supermarkets really mm-hmm. want to partner with Costa. That's been a really good result for them. Now, you can't, again, fix the agricultural issues, and that's been the short-to-medium-term problem it's faced. The growth story is, if it can do it, China and Morocco, China and, of course, New Asia, Morocco into Europe. Uh, Blueberries, again, in particular, high-value commodities. That's, again, been always the story. And to some degree, this is the execution of that story that we're now looking at. It's pretty reasonably priced. I agree with Chris. It's still a buy for us for now. Um, At some point, you need to see some really good growth out of China and Morocco, because no matter how good you are locally, The market's only a decently reasonable size and frankly, Costa already a massive market share. It is a dominant um, business, the king of Geelong, also the king of of berries, quite honestly. Uh, And that's been great for the company. Uh, But the upside has got to come from growth and that's probably elsewhere. That makes it much riskier. Um, I think it's worth buying now, but at some price in the not too distant future, a bit like Chris, I'd be downgrading.
2: Okay. All right. Uh, There you go. Rachel, appreciate the suggestion on Costa Group. Um, Now, Scott, you keep mentioning Chris keeps saying agricultural uh, stocks really hard to read. They go through in cycles. So Liam wants a view on the BetaShares Global Agricultural Companies ETF. Now, is this an alternative for investors who you know, like the agricultural space but understand there's a fair bit of risk? Is this an alternative for, for if you're like leveling out that risk?
3: I would love to say yes, Koshy. I don't think it quite is. Let me let me explain oh, why. Yes would be <laughs> much easier answer, wouldn't it? Rather than no, but that's not not the world's best answer. But let me go with it. Um, so look, I think if you want to be in agriculture, first you need to work out why you want to be in that space, right? Now, you know, a, a growing sector isn't enough. You need to know what price you're paying, what value you're buying, which businesses you're buying. Buying an ETF on a trend or on a theme can work if you're lucky, um, but as we've seen in the past, even the best businesses and the best industries can get massively overpriced. Uh, the obvious one, of course, is the dot-com boom way yeah. back in 2000, which feels like ancient history now. Even though almost every one of those business models is now in existence, if you can believe it, from the dot-com. Uh, yeah. Mark Andreessen, the, the 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 guy behind Andreessen Horowitz, one of the most famous VC firms in the valley, talks about the fact that not a single, every one of those business models was right. Most of them were just early. That being said, you lost an absolute fortune backing the idea just because you thought the idea could work. You need to know the business, you need to know the valuation, that's important. So. I wouldn't, I generally tend not to buy thematic ETFs. If you've done the work to look at the businesses in there, then buy the businesses. If you haven't done it or you don't want to do it, you probably don't, you probably shouldn't buy the ETF either. There is an extra, um, I guess, extra wrinkle on this one, Kosh. If you look at the businesses that are in this, in the top 10 are two equipment manufacturers. That is John Deere and one other. So again, is it food, agriculture? Kind of. That's not necessarily bad, by the way, but it's not going to be a wheat and barley plate two others are two big meat companies in the US Tyson Foods and Hormel. And again they're not bad, but if you think about agriculture as in you know, I'm buying some crops or I'm buying herds or I'm buying farms, right. you're really buying a couple of tractor a couple of machinery makers, a couple of, you know, meat producers and these are industrialized meat producers. Again not necessarily bad, but you've got to know what you're buying. If you're buying this cuz it's agriculture and you're thinking Australian agriculture, what you're getting and again in those top 10s so these are, you know, four of the top biggest holdings. Are not actually agriculture companies at right. all, and you just need to know that, and just make sure if you are buying, you're buying fully, realising what you're getting for your money.
2: Yep. Okay. Uh, really good point, Chris. Isn't it? With ETFs, is is to actually dig a bit. You've got to dig deeper into an ETF as well. Yeah. At least to find out the top line. Oh, it's zone. food. Must yeah. be good. Yeah. Exactly.
0: So it is related to food. About uh, 35, 36% is is packaged meats, packaged yep. food. Uh, you've got 20% in fertiliser and chemicals to do with agriculture, oh, no. 16, okay. 17% is in machinery. So you might as now well there's... buy
2: Elders.
1: <laughs> is elders. It, is now there's it, a little it, roller coaster that a lot of people oh, want to no. get But off is, get, it, is get, that
2: sort of an Australian agricultural ETF? Because I guess in some respects it is. Like...
0: It's a big supply play and obviously agricultural real estate play yeah. as well. But, yeah. uh Look, this is global, it's ex-Australia, it is Australian hedged. I, I guess really you want to take a very long-term view. If you want to play this after that run,
2: yep.
0: you've got to take a five-year view and go, you know what, end-to-end, um, uh, manufacture, transport and sale of food. We think more, more people wanting more protein, yep. spending more on food globally. I like that theme over the next five or ten years, <laughs> more mouths to feed. I'll buy it on that basis. Yep. And, you know, Maybe that's a reason to do it. Um, it's a very diversified thing. But because of that, you're going to have different uh, countries that are that are outperforming and underperforming. Mm. You're going to yep. have different sectors outperforming and underperforming. So it's going to level level it all out. At the moment, it's all been recovering. But I think we're going to see a leveling out of that right. curve pretty soon. So I tend to agree. I'd, I'd look for individual stocks. Right.
2: Okay. That's a, a really good discussion on, on this ETF because uh, I think... A lot of private investors get lured into ets by going, "Oh, it's just like a managed fund, you know, it's going to replicate an index, that mm. that's it." But often it doesn't. All right, uh, Dan wants a view, um, uh, uh, Chris, on ALS. Now, this is sort of a company full of lab coats, people in lab coats who test things, don't they? Whether it be um, for mining and exploration, whether it be food or pharmaceuticals, they. They certify sort of results, don't they?
0: They do. And they've got different sectors. Obviously, they've been uh, quite strong in uh, the they vaccine and mining. medicals. Uh, they did, they and that's still mining? their strong yeah. suit. Yep. At about that $10, I'm probably a buyer here because I'm just okay. looking at where is the demand for their services going to be in the next three to five years? Because yep. it is quite a large company. I, th- I think we've still got a commodity boom that we're in the middle of, so there's going to be a lot of exploration and development, so a huge amount of assay results. We know that, particularly in WA and globally. Uh, and, of course, we've got an ageing uh, first world population, so there's going to be more and more testing for does someone have a bacterial infection, a virus, et cetera, right. as well. So I think their laboratories will be in demand over the next five years. Right. So based on that sort of share price, if you're willing to hold it, uh, it has been talk of uh, takeover a number of times as well. So there's always that little piece. That's mm-hmm. not why you should buy a stock, but that might be a favourable outcome as well. So for a buy and hold, uh, given the demand for their services, I'm pretty comfortable with it. Expect the commodity piece to pick up uh, yeah. over the next six to 12 months. Okay. Some of the other testing maybe to fall away, but that offsets quite nicely.
2: Yep. Okay. Scott, what do you think of ALS? And sounds like they've... Like a lot of companies will diversify, and these guys are in mining and exploration and all that that sort of thing and, and testing. but they seem to have expanded into some of these other areas pretty well.
3: Yeah, that's right, Gosh, the old Campbell brothers, of course, for those who've been around for a few years, remember under that, non Monica originally. It, this is a tough one for me. I think Chris is, Chris makes a very persuasive case around what the future might look like. On the other hand, having looked at the information, they make a lower sales per share today than they did 10 years ago. So back in 2012, it was $3.90, $3.86 a share. Uh, Last year, $3.78, and that wasn't an unusual year. In fact, that was up on the year before. So we can't blame COVID and say there was some Mm. sort of business disruption that that really hurt them. That's where I really struggle with ALS, I have to say. I think it's one of those businesses that, as Chris says, really by rights should continue to do really, really well. You should be able to back this one in. Uh, But it's been really cyclical. It's been all over the place, sales wise, profit wise as well. Um, It's only about half of what it earned in 2013, uh, last year, profit-wise. And you pay about 28 times earnings for ALS. If you're buying this one, you've really got to believe that that growth comes through. And Chris may well be right. Um, I'm not going to bet against it, but I have to say at that kind of level with this sort of performance, I kind of want to see some momentum uh, sales-wise or some momentum profit-wise or some sense that there there is some either, either structural change that it won't be cyclical anymore, or some operational evidence they've turned a corner, and I just don't see it. So I don't hate the company; it's been a very steady performer. You can happily hold your shares probably if you own them, uh, but at 28 times, anything, I just can't bring myself to jump in just yet. Now maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong, maybe Chris is right. I'd happily look at a bit more evidence to see if there is some change actually coming through. And those those rationales, by the way, are completely valid in terms of should there be more testing? I guess yeah. Uh, should ALS have a, have a bite? Yep, they should. Uh, but the last ten years have been pretty ordinary for investors, uh, okay. very cyclical and pretty flat. Versus this time ten years ago, I just can't bring myself to pay twenty-eight times earnings for that.
2: Okay, all right. Let's recap the uh, the first five stocks and stock of the day: National Tire, a speculative buy from both Chris and Scott. Uh, Santos, a yes from Chris and no from Scott. Vulcan Energy, uh, hold from Chris and no from um, from Scott. Costa Group. Um, uh, Scott likes Costa Group um, at these levels, it's a, a hold from uh, from Chris, Beta Global Ag, uh, a no from both ALS, um, a yes from Chris and a no from Scott. Uh, here on the call, we've been uh, monitoring our own fantasy portfolio, if you like, that we've been tracking since the 1st of July, thanks to our partner NAB Trade, all the stocks that get Unanimous agreement by our expert panel, the two thumbs up is a buy, uh, then go into the calls portfolio. If that stock comes up again in a future panel and doesn't get unanimous approval, it comes out. Let's check to see how it's performing the last week. It's up uh, three, just over 3% for the month, 4.5% and for the year from July the 1st, 28.5%. Some of the stocks recently added to the calls portfolio, Ordinate, uh, the Vanek Vectors, Australian Bank's ETF, Centuria Capital, Next DC, AUB Group. Some of the stocks been removed by a panel, uh, Red Jet Premier Investments and Intertech Pivot. Now, if you want to take a look at all the stocks in the Calls portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Just on a programming note, coming up uh, after one o'clock, the chief executive of Archer Materials, Mohamed Shakir, as his company sells uh, some of its mining assets as it makes its push into being more of a tech company. Mohamed from Archer Materials up at 1:20 p.m. All right, let's get into the uh, second half of the uh, of the call. Our six stock to take a look at has been suggested by Charles and Scott. Um, Char- we've had Cadence Capital come up a bit because it's an invest- listed investment company that has quite a stake in a private company called Deep Green Metals, which mines from uh, ocean floors basically doesn't it? and deep green metals is about to uh, uh to ipo in uh in the united states and uh, it forms quite a big part of cadence's portfolio
3: you're right koshi and that was what makes it one really really difficult because at a, you know yeah. as a simple investment if you're looking at this company you're probably going to give it a miss profit has been hard to come by occasionally gets a little bit of money and lose a little bit for a couple of years and makes a dollar more than loses a couple of bucks it's been you know a really tough one to see long-term uh, profitability from long-term track record from it's trading about 1.1 times book value. So again, you look at that and say, gee, that doesn't look, doesn't look cheap. And this net tangible assets fell about 30% between 2018 and 2020. So you look at all that saying, where is the opportunity? And this is kind of where it comes down to a bit of speculation on the value of, of that business. I'm not gonna jump into that one. I gotta say, maybe it gets IPO, maybe the price is decent. It's always tempting, man. IPOs are just like, you know, it's uh, what is it, honey? Flowers honey. I've lost, I've lost the uh, the metaphor. It, it is a really tough one to look past and say I'm not going to bother taking part in this because it probably won't do anything. And then of course you get the stag profit and IPO doubles and everyone says, oh, I should have bought it. I should have known. And that's why it's a really, really tough one to try and value. There is nothing fundamental about the book value of this business, including by the way the the carrying value of all of its assets, including Deep Green, that really should give you a sense that there's more to go. But if investors look at this as a bit of a way to play a speculative IPO pop, um, that, yeah, you know, that's why it's it so attra- seems so attractive, right? You don't want to miss out mm. on what might be the next big thing and, and insert your your preferred option here. Um, I can't go there. I don't think it's necessarily the game you want to play. It would be pure speculation. It doesn't make, yeah, you it know, doesn't justify a recommendation. Maybe it pops, maybe it doesn't, maybe it doubles, maybe it halves. It's literally impossible to know. And if you're playing that game, you might as well toss some coins. That's not investing for me. So I'd be avoiding cadence. Okay,
2: Uh, Chris, uh, sort of cadence um, has been telling the markets that deep green makes up 2.8 percent of the company's portfolio of investments. Mm. If deep green list in uh, New York at a level they think it will, that will go from 2.8% value of its portfolio up to 20%. Is the, Which is light exciting, light. How much, lure people. <laughs> I, I guess the question
0: is how much is embedded in the price already? Right, how yeah. many gamblers are there? Because that's what we're talking yeah. about. You know, We put it all on black and we'll cross yeah. our fingers, right? That, yeah. uh, and, and you've got to look at the long-term history. So when you look at this business... 15-year track record, 12.8% return sounds fantastic. But then in the last five years, it's only been about 3%. So it's underperformed substantially the market. Look, I prefer straight investments. Again, wait till they're listed, wait until they're proving themselves. There's one called EM2, which is uh, Eagle Mountain. It's in copper. They're right in the middle of a, a drill program in Arizona hitting fantastic grade copper. Like copper, like the grade, they have money. And they're performing that's a much easier investment case to get involved in a business where you like one of their investments and hoping that one investment will do really well to justify Mm. the performance without factoring the others there's too many ifs buts and maybes there so stick with investments where you've got as much control over the outcome as possible in my mind
2: yeah and a bit more transparent i suppose absolutely portfolio. absolutely yeah i right. hope it
0: does well by the way for all those investors yeah. we're not <laughs> trying to talk it down it's just can we build an investment case with the information we have and sure. there's too many ifs there
2: it's a really good point all right charles thank you for uh, bringing up uh cadence um now chris um chris uh our viewer wants a view on uh med advisor now this is, uh, Uh, MedAdvisor delivers um, health programs to patients, don't they, and sort of uh, educate them more in the uh, medical side, the pharmaceuticals they're receiving, uh, medication and the like. They just announced uh, recently uh, their health program deal with uh, Adaris, is it, the US pharmaceutical company uh, that keeps rolling over? Yeah, look, it's an interesting
0: one. I had a look at it. It's probably a hold for me. Uh, It's interesting that the share price has underperformed so much, as the viewer uh, highlighted. They have announced a couple of meaningful contracts quite recently, and you can see that stabilisation in the share price. We've just been used to seeing um, uh, charts going exactly the opposite direction, right? So it is a little bit concerning when risk is on in the market. It's probably turning the corner. They've announced a $3.7 million US uh, uh, contract extension and a $4.7 mm-hmm. million US contract extension. So for a relatively small company, that's meaningful and probably uh, underpins the confidence, uh, at least in the US, of their education program Yep. that it's getting some traction. They're using some AI to, mm-hmm. to identify the, the, the right bits of information that need to go to the health providers and the patients about the drugs that they're using. Uh, so it's got a chance, but it's a small little business uh, and I guess the, the share price is telling the story at the moment. Yeah. Uh, the market's still waiting for some other trigger to really light this one up. So I'm probably on the fence as a whole for this okay. investor, but good to see some stabilisation contract wins.
2: Yeah. Um, and Scott, you often talk about it's the story these companies can give to the market to ignite yeah. the share market. As Chris was saying. They've made a couple of announcements in the last couple of weeks, and the share price is still just flat.
3: Kosh, I think the, the, the story really, you're right, it's all about the story, but it's also about the direction of the story, momentum behind the story. Maybe this gets something going, but as you've seen, as Chris already alluded to, that share price chart's been pretty disappointing for the last 12 months. As I think, frankly, the true believers went elsewhere. There, there's so much more if you want to get onto something small and exciting. The, the, the market's moved on, the caravan's moved on. Um yep. and so it's hard <laughs> to get people back to the story, right? If you are gonna buy a story, that momentum builds over time and then drifts away. That's exactly what you're seeing right there. Um uh, and that, that's a perfect example. Look, yeah, it is good to see they're signing some contracts. That does give you some sense, I guess, frankly, in the event it's probably more likely the market saying, Thank goodness we don't have to sell the shares even lower because there is no business coming in the door. A couple of contracts gives the market or those remaining shareholders right. some hope that maybe uh, there is something to this. Maybe there's something behind this. Maybe there's some growth to come. I think that's probably reasonable. Uh, the problem is, as, as Chris already mentioned, it's small. It's reasonably speculative. We love the concert. I mean, you know, who doesn't want a more informed patient, an easier, better way to do it? It makes perfect sense from that perspective. Can you turn it into a viable long-term business? That's the open question. Uh, I'm going to jump on Chris's bandwagon. I'm going to say there's a solid hold for me. I wouldn't be selling. I think the share price decline gives you some reason to believe that there may be some upside left. And those contracts give you some sense that the market is coming back to you know, some sense that you know there is some potential behind the idea. It would be the first medical kind of idea to go to the wall trying to solve a problem. I hope it does for like all these companies. We all hope they're successful because it means there's better health outcomes, but not enough yet to say this one's a buy. One to hold if you own it, one to watch if you don't. If that momentum you know, at a business level turns from contract wins to revenue, revenue to profit, that's what you want to see. Announcements themselves shouldn't be enough. If they are, that's pure momentum and pure market sentiment. That shouldn't be enough either to get you investing.
2: OK, all right. Let's go from uh, one end of the, uh, the d- digital spectrum to the other in terms of listed companies, uh, Scott, Adam wants a view on car sales, a massive online automotive motorcycle and marine classified ad business, uh, not only here, but through Asia Pacific, they've got interest in Brazil, South Korea now. Malaysia, Indonesia, Thailand, and Mexico—they basically took one of the rivers of gold, didn't they, from uh, from newspapers and put it online and uh, uh, made a fortune out of it.
3: Man, it's incredible. I mean, these were the businesses that defined the internet's promise, yeah. probably along with Amazon. Um, you know, the, the ability for the internet to take business away from local yeah. and R-E-A. regional, and yeah. yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, and from, from offline to online. Um, the, these were these were the success stories, and you're right areas the same. Seek of course the employment. Yep. Um, they were the rivers of gold. They were the things that were being paid for in very very large values. Um, I can remember, you know, you buy a Sydney Morning Herald or a copy of the Age, and it was like carrying a phone book home. It was so yeah. full of classified ads, job ads, car ads, house. It was literally, you know, it was an inch thick. Um, some Saturdays they came in two sections. Believe it or not, in in the big uh, yep. old school broadsheet, and this was the. <laughs> the newspaper story, that's all gone, literally all gone. And you can see it in the size of the papers. You can see it in the size of the newspapers, P&Ls too, unfortunately for them. And I'm a bit sad about that as as someone who loves a newspaper and and loves media diversity, we all like that sort of stuff. But the business itself, what's left or what's gone elsewhere is car sales in part. And it has done a spectacular job of just squeezing more and more and more money out of car sellers. But more importantly for car sales, this is where this one's a little bit different than the others. It yep. makes an outsized proportion of its revenues actually from display ads. So, and and for through ads, of course. But in the, you know, the idea of classifieds was in theory that you you simply get the employer or the home seller to pay, and that's where you make your money. That happens, of course, when you're selling cars. But car sales is is far more reliant on advertising, as in display advertising, literally the you know the click advertising outside the classified ads than the other two. That's what's been behind some of car sales struggles over the last 12 months, because we know people aren't buying new cars, and frankly. New car sellers don't have those new cars to sell. So the advertising budgets have come way down, and that's really hurt car sales. That should be a positive, I think, for long-term shareholders, though, particularly if you want to buy today, because I think those, those sellers and those advertisers do return as sure as night follows day. Now, I don't have a specific timing on that. No one does. But when we get full supply chains, when we get cars coming back, when we get people entering the market again and those car sellers wanting to put their cars in front of potential buyers, that's when we'll see prices for advertising go up, the volumes of advertising go up, and that'll be really, really good for car sales bottom line. I like the business as it is today. I like it even more when those advertisers return. I think car sales is an easy buy. It's one of those blue chip, I won't say exactly bottom draw, I'm not a big fan of bottom draw, leave it alone stocks, but this is one of the ones that I think has a really good long-term potential here in Australia. And as you've all said, Koshi, those okay. little investments
0: overseas that really can pay off, I think, for years to come. Yep, Chris? It is an easy buy at these sort of levels uh, because you can see how it can continue to pr- improve. Uh, we've got, uh, uh, I think we're 40% down on new car sales stock at the moment. Yep. Uh, that will come back online. We've obviously got some of those international investments. Brazil not going so well at the moment with the coronavirus, That's South America and even Asia. As those come online, they're much higher growth businesses, which should turbocharged car sales and really justify a bit of a premium Uh, and they're looking at uh, the unveiling of uh, what's it called Classified 2.0 which is their next generation to catch even more of the pie so they're not resting on their laurels they're really looking at how they can continue to evolve in Australia they'll then roll that overseas markets as well so under $20 a share not so much bottom draw but be prepared to pay pay that and hold them for a couple of years and you should be near their their previous highs maybe up as high as $25 a share. And they've
2: really embedded them in car dealers too, haven't they? Car 100%. Dealer, car dealers yes. can't afford Correct. not to be using car sales now.
0: Absolutely, and expect new models to come through as well. So we're going to have yeah. a whole new advertising spend about to be unleashed on the yeah. market, which benefits them. They'll get a nice piece of the pie.
2: Okay, and all right, car sales will buy it from both Scott and Chris. Um, and related, our next company, Jen, wants a view on Frontier Digital Ventures and what Frontier D- Digital Ventures have done, have said, hey, look at car sales, look at Seek, look at REA. Let's see if we can take all of those models into developing countries um, throughout Asia, Vietnam. Is, they've actually started a business and sold it recently. So what do you think of Frontier Digital Ventures?
0: Smart idea, smart people. They've actually done quite well to get right. a 600 million or oh, 500 million market cap business up. Uh, but to be fair, again, look at that chart. It's it's run out of puff. I'm still concerned that, uh, notwithstanding the the growth potential of the business, their last quarter they had uh, six million in revenue, but still lost eight million on the quarter. So, oh, oh, not exactly okay. uh, yeah. an inspiring business there. When you're burning eight million a quarter, you really need to show a lot of top line growth. So yeah. for me. Probably too hard basket in the hold. Uh, They're looking at being, you know, the second or third biggest in the space. There's usually already a gorilla established, which makes it a lot, lot harder. I'd rather bet on a suite of car sales, realestate.com and seek and let them go globally with a proven model uh, than than these guys. I think it's probably a little bit harder, Jen, with a lot more moving parts, probably need a lot more cash and things take a lot longer than they they hope and, and pray for. So little bit tricky there for me to to put a buy on that but an interesting stock and they've done very well over the last five ten years
2: right okay scott what do you think of frontier digital i think chris is exactly right but i'm possibly a little bit
3: uh prepared to to have a bit more of a fishing expedition as long as you realize this is a speculative one um because of the examples that we've just talked about and chris has just mentioned if you think that those rivers of gold can be replicated elsewhere and if you think frontier as a player in a lot of different countries, a lot of different verticals has some potential. Now, that's a lot of ifs back to back, which it should tell you exactly that this is a low probability but potentially very high payoff event. That's the sort of framework you want to look at. Chris is right, the growth hasn't been spectacular, but sales have been growing reasonably well. Um, Not spectacularly well, but reasonably well. And they've been losing a lot of money, so there may well be another need for more capital. This is one that's absolutely lotto ticket territory, Um, with the exception that there is reason to, I think, at least lay a, a template over the top of it and say hey we can see what this might do now we've seen i property we've seen i asia these businesses have really struggled to genuinely make a difference even seeks international businesses and even car sales frankly haven't really been able to deliver massive amounts of growth just yet the question for investors is are they getting it early enough to stake some ground up we the local competition that chris has already mentioned to make some money if and when those markets mature enough to make this worthwhile. We know in investing being early is almost indistinguishable from being wrong if you're too early and this might very well be the case. So I'm absolutely not saying you should use any money other than you know the, the, the most speculative end of your pointy portfolio and say, if you are a growth investor, if you have a range of investments in companies of this type where you can allow, afford a, a low strike rate but a high potential return from one or two of them, then Frontier I think fits right in that sweet spot. But If you're only going to buy one company, don't make it Frontier because this could be literally a death or glory type situation for your investing.
2: Mm, Okay, all right, that's a really good point. Um, Our final uh, stock, Scott uh, John, wants a view on on White Hawk. Um, It's in the 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 cyber security business, isn't it? Uh, They've got a a SaaS. Basically, um, a platform to prevent financial fraud, identity theft and mobile device securities, they say on the sales front. Company claims to have 40 ongoing engagements in the pipeline, of which five to 10 should be executed this year. Uh, Cybersecurity and uh, digital protection is the buzzword at the moment, a really hot theme for governments uh, and also corporates too.
3: It really is. And I'm sure that's exactly why we're getting the question and the company's doing nothing to dispel that excitement that we might want to jump on board. We've seen, of course, that the the channel nine hack, right? It's it's going to be, it has been, it will be an ever present reality of business. That cyber security remains one of the key challenges for businesses. You know, we used to lock the front door, you put the bars down, you pull the, the grill down. These days, the online version is making sure your systems are appropriately protected from these sorts of impacts, these sorts of attacks. The problem, of course, is trying to work out that as a services firm, that software as a service, which is quality, you should get some recurring revenue from that. Unlike traditional services firms who go and do the work and then go out and then try and find new customers. So we know software as a service is generally better than one off contracts. But by the same token, this, th- these guys are one of, I'm sure, hundreds of players in this space mm. trying to get enough business to justify themselves, take market share. And the real question for investors is, do you believe this is a business? No, so. Separate the theme, a bit like the ETFs we talked about before. Separate the theme from the business. Is the theme here to stay? Absolutely. Do we yet know how that will play out? Who will win? Who will lose? How much market share they'll take? Even what the economics of the industry ends up looking like in three, five, or 10 years from here. And I don't think anyone can reasonably answer that particular question. And that's exactly where you've got these sorts of problems to try and deal with, is what does cybersecurity look like in three years' time? I don't know. I don't even know the companies know themselves and that's no slight on them. This is such a fast evolving um, industry and, and topic issue problem that companies try and just get their heads around this. It's just really, really difficult in the first instance to try and work out what, where, how and why, let alone try and pick a winner in the space. I'm going to put this in Chris's too hard basket. I'll, I'll have one of my own and whack it straight in that one. It's just simply impossible to know what the future looks like for Whitehawk. I hope it's successful for it and it's for its shareholders. I just don't know how you can extrapolate anything into the future and say this should be worth... X in one, three, five years based on any reliable extrapolation or estimation of future sales or, or business just because of that inherent uncertainty and so many moving parts in this
2: industry. Yep. Really good points. Um, Chris, it's one of those things where, uh, uh, as Scott was saying, don't you you weigh up the theme and whether there are easier alternatives um, mm. that you can understand better in other sectors, because you're only going to invest in 10 or 20 stocks, aren't you, at the most?
0: Absolutely. And I think Scott made a couple of fantastic points around that. Yes, the theme's there, there to stay. So tick's the first box. If you're trying to buy a stock and not just trade it very quickly on news flow, are the demand for its products and services going to be bigger, hopefully a lot bigger in three to five years? So is is there a growing market? Cybersecurity, absolute tick. The problem with that is then you generally attract some of the biggest players around, right? (laughs) They can outspend you, can outbid you, can execute not just one solution, but 50 solutions end-to-end for your security. So I think that's where you are buying a lotto ticket, I think. Unfortunately, with Whitehawk, they need to be in bed with one of the biggest global players, I think, to give them a leg up. Uh, We recently raised some money for uh, Right Crowd. And they do have a global partner in Honeywell, one of the biggest players on the planet, yeah. which is going to help them embed some of their security about knowing exactly who is where and that they're not allowed in secure areas of certain places so they can't commit uh, espionage right. or cybersecurity breaches. So I like right crowd in that space. I agree with the theme. And again, if you love a theme, don't, yep. don't be afraid of doing research across all the listed ones and pick maybe three of your favorites. Just put a little in each because you only need one to do very, very well and you get a great return on your investment. So that might be the, the play in this space anyway.
2: Okay, so right crowd is your preferred one there. And um, let's just recap uh, our final five stocks. Cadence, a no from both Scott and Chris. Uh, Medadvisor a hold. Everyone hopes they do well with it, but tough market. Car sales, a buy from both uh, Scott and Chris at these levels. Frontier Digital, a no. Uh, White Hawker, no, um, have a look at Right Right crowd. crowd. Right Crowd is maybe an alternative in that cybersecurity space. Uh, Scott Phillips from Motley Fall, always great to have you on board. Appreciate your time, mate. See you next time.
3: Thank you, Koshy, and good luck on Sunday, Chris.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. Thanks, Scotty. Chris, thank you for joining Cheers, us. Uh, we'll be uh, checking up to see how you go. Cheers, mate. Uh, boy, he is looking fit, let me tell you. Anyone? <laughs> in the uh, in the sprint look out for it all right that's our show for today if you've got any stocks you'd like us to take a look at just put them in an email to us the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at osbiz tv handle uh reminder to find all the stocks in the calls portfolio head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio and don't forget to subscribe to the osbiz newsletter Uh, In it, every afternoon, Scuddy's View, um, a link to the COB podcast, and also a list of the popular videos and interviews that we've had during the day. This is your one-stop shop to catch up with everything that's happened during the day on the business and markets front here at AusBiz. Uh, To subscribe, just go to ausbiz.co forward slash COB. Startup Daily Show. Coming up after two o'clock, the show that looks at all of the unlisted private companies seeking capital uh, from that startup scale up venture capital area. Uh, Today they're joined by Dean Crop from the bottom of Sydney Harbour as he competes a 24 hour mission to clean up plastic from the ocean. That's coming up on the Startup Daily Show. And yes, Dean, uh, the crop there is the famous underwater photography family um, so a lot happening on the between now and the end of the day live here uh, as we stream right throughout the country um, we'll be back after the break with all of that and a whole lot more. Mm-hmm.